What's going on, guys? This is episode 32 of the Fear of Being Average podcast with your host, Mr. Brandon Rinka. First and foremost, please, guys, if you like the podcast, if you like what you're hearing, like what you're listening to, want awesome guests on the show like we all do, be sure to comment, share, like, give us the thumbs up. That's what we do here on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, and yeah, keep on um, enjoying the podcast that way. But again, on today's episode, we have Jordan Shelton. He is a University of Toronto graduate. He is the founder of Cave Magazine, which is a social marketing agency now running out of Florida. Uh, On this episode, we talk a lot about high-performing habits, how to become a high performer, how to become world-class, understanding the power of marketing, not only in business, but also in life, creating sustainable growth, looking five feet in front of you as well as looking 20 feet in front of you it's a really cool concept that he learned about on a past podcast uh planning for big picture goals again the leadership traits of some of the top performers he's had the the likes to talk to on his podcast and just going through life obviously building a sustainable high level business and writing for amazing high level magazines uh and then of course jordan's non negotiable habits that he embarks on every single day that allows him to not only be a CEO of a successful company, but do it at a high level and of course at a healthy level. Um, All that in today's episode um, of the Fear Being Average podcast, guys. Hope you enjoy it. Again, comment, share, like, do it all. But of course, guys, make sure you apply the knowledge that you hear from today's episode. Take care and we'll see you in the next one. Okay, guys, what's going on? We are here on the Fear of Being Average podcast, episode number 32, with my guest today, Jordan Shelton. Um, super excited to have him on. We're actually both U of T alums. We just missed each other on the football field by a year or two. Um, you were playing quarterback there, right, Jordan? Yeah, yeah, I played quarterback there up until 2010, I think. So 2009, 2010 was my last season. Cool, man. Very cool. Um, so a little background of what Jordan does, who Jordan is. He's a UFT grad, um, graduated in political science and government. He is a founder at Cave Social that's been nearly around for nearly a decade now. I think we're going on nine years, right? Yeah, we're in the, we're in the midst of our ninth year right now. So it's uh, started at U of T in the library. Um, with another guy who I played with, Michael Prempe, and um, yeah, it grew it grew it in Toronto, and then ended up moving down to the states and opening an office in Florida. Uh, and then about three and a half years ago, said, "Okay, as we want to expand the team, where do we want to get more talent?" So let's do this on the West Coast. A lot of our clients are on the West Coast, so moved out to LA. Um, I'm from Vancouver originally, so that was really good. Um, the part. Um, you know, bought them out and took it all kind of myself now, uh, but running out of LA. So it's uh, been a wild, a wild nine years. Yeah, it sounds like it, man. And Cave Social is just for anyone listening is a content marketing agency. So off the bat, I know you're a big storyteller. That's one of the, the basic principles that you talk a lot about in your, uh, you know, content marketing. So tell us your story, man. Tell us that, that you already kind of highlighted it, the transition from, you know, creating Cave Social at, at UFT and then it blossoming into a obviously North America wide company. So let's let's hear it, man. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I'll bring you back to really you know those first couple moments. What, what really took me to like, okay, this could be a company. This could be something that I'm going to do. And it started. We actually started this as a magazine. So it was called Cave Magazine, and we were just writing blogs. You know, and at that time, I thought I was like. Looking at law school, I was in my last year of university. And the more I was looking at it, I said, okay, what's a profession or what's a place where um, I have the advantage, right, with my age and my skill set? And I thought if I go into law, someone who's been doing it for 40 years, like it's going to take me 40 years to get their job because they've been doing it, they know what they're doing. But I said, okay, I think my advantage is really on the internet and when it comes to on social and how to create blogs and websites because I've been doing that you know, as long as anyone, um, I remember being on Facebook when it was only, you know, my first year of university, it was kind of like when Facebook took off and it was only for university students. Um, 
So I was like, okay, I think I could go here and, and make a splash and kind of have an advantage over people who are maybe, you know, 30, 40 years my senior. Um, anyways, we started the blog. What was crazy, uh, we started and we did this story. And the story took four months to cover, but it was when uh, the Florida Panthers had a sale on season tickets. And we lived in Toronto. And anyone who's in Toronto knows getting season tickets to an NHL, like to the Leafs, it's insane. It's like the equivalent in LA, like getting season tickets to Lakers. So we said, okay, we got to buy these. And we weren't in Florida at all at this point. Uh, bought tickets and we're just trying to give them away. Um, obviously, we start demanding trades. You know, we go crazy. And uh, the team catches wind of it and the owner catches wind of it. And he says, hey, come on down to the game. Uh, come on down to a game. We go down, we get in the owner's box full nine yards of service, getting like drinks, food, everything, get a jersey, get to put out of the ice, like this crazy experience. Anyways, we come back, we write up a story on, you know, our season as a Florida uh, Panthers season ticket holder. We have published, and the next day I wake up, and we are in ESPN, Sports <laughs> Illustrated, uh, front page of Reddit, and I'm like, okay, I, I had so many notifications on my phone, I thought somebody died. Right. So what was, what, what was going on? Like, why were they so excited? Because the Florida Panthers were so crap that they were just happy. Yeah, to be like, it's so bad. And like, it, and it's like, it's just a different story. You know, nobody's really <laughs> excited to be a Florida Panthers season ticket holder. That's amazing. And they're the most obscure, like one of the most obscure markets for an NHL team. And like, you know, hey, and also buying tickets, season tickets from a thousand miles away. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just something different, right? Like, why would we, we do this? But it was 180 bucks to buy the ticket, the season tickets. Wow. So we're like, okay, let's do it, you know? Um, so we paid 180 bucks for that story, and it, it took off. And anyways, my aunt, who's in PR, she's like, hey, do you know what this would have been, what this was worth to the Florida Panthers from a brand perspective? And I was like, no. She's like, well, the coverage you got them is worth probably $250,000. And I was like, uh, pardon me? And, you know, because at that point, I am just, I just finished school. I honestly have like 250 bucks to my name. So for someone to tell me, oh, this coverage and, and what you created is worth money, it really just like the, the bell started going off. And I said, oh, we can do this for brands. We can create stories. We can take everything we've learned from creating this blog on how to wrap a story that's really branded and uh, around a company or product and we can do this and you know that story led to okay like how what is this world like and we started exploring it and then realized like okay there's a couple of people selling this you know uh content marketing social media marketing uh service you got to remember this is like right now everyone is a social media agency but in 2011 2012 there was there wasn't really much of a thing facebook had just launched its ad platform uh it, it feels weird to be like back in the day in 2012 but um, yeah, so we, we, we dove in and we ended up sort of working with one moving company, you know, that led to two, that led to three, that led to referrals and it just kind of started to snowball downhill. Um, and within, yeah, within about a year of publish of that story, you know, we had, uh, we were at three people on full-time, uh, full-time salary. We were able to quit, you know, quit the other jobs and kind of do this thing full go, um, so it was just crazy to see. And that was like that, the power of storytelling and being able to tell stories for brands. It, it led and then it snowballed downhill since then. And we've been able to go through and, you know, immigrate to the States. Uh, I went through the, I don't have any relatives down here or anything. So I went through like the formal immigration process, um, came down and now have been able to grow and, and work with, you know, Fortune 500s and um, bigger, some, some named startups that, um are really passionate about telling their story. So it's been amazing for us to come in and, you know, take that experience that we learned the first time with buying those Florida Panthers season tickets and start to apply some of those principles to the brands we work with. Wow. Crazy story, man. So, so what was it like for you guys to, cause you kind of almost fell backwards into this story, obviously, right? That wasn't the plan to buy Florida Panthers season tickets. And all right, let's hope this thing blows up. Like it just happened. And then you had that kind of epiphany that, okay, well, there, there's something to this and, and companies are willing to pay for a story. How did you guys learn about becoming experts in that field? Because it wasn't like you were experts that were looking to do it. You kind of just fell into it and then you 
went with the, the, the I guess, the, the tide. So what was it like yeah. for you guys developing into these experts uh, over overnight almost? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think one of the things about any skill development is that it takes uh, repeated action over a long time. So we were no, like, we had attention from that, but I know that, well, one, I used the HubSpot resources. So HubSpot was a great site with a lot of resources teaching you on how to, like, sell these services and how to actually storytell and how to use, you know, search engine optimization and all of these technical marketing things. Um, but I knew that on the Internet, and I could see it through how companies like BuzzFeed and um, Elite Daily were positioning, was, oh, they're telling a story and they're telling a new story every day. So you have to consistently give your audience new content. Um and if you're able to do that repeatedly, then they're they're going to stick around, and then they're more likely to purchase your product. You know, when it comes to when they're at a purchasing decision. So I knew pretty early on that okay, one story will make a splash, right? It's like a viral video. Cool, one viral video is a cool video, mm-hmm. or or something that I always use as an example is like one joke is a funny joke, but if you tell five funny jokes, you're a funny person. So from a brand perspective pretend storytelling how do you tell consistent stories that position you you know as an interesting company product brand whatever it may be cool so how would you navigate a company to tell that consistent story like would it be what kind of strategies would they be looking for off the bat that you could implement with them and for them is it them just trying to figure out who what their identity is what their consumer base is um you know what their you know, demographic their market is like what what's the starting point to even know okay i need i know need i need to tell a story but what story is going to be the thing that kind of sticks with my company like how do you kind of even go about that off the bat yeah so the first thing uh the first thing companies need to do is realize the story is not about them the story is about their customer so so many people whether you're trying to build a personal brand anything they may try to make the story about themselves and they go look at me i'm so great and that's where things fall flat. What you need to do is make your story about your customer. Where you fit into the story is you're the supporting actor, right? You're the Mr. Miyagi to your customer's karate kid. Hmm. So what problems does your customer have, right? How can you inspire them? How can you entertain them? How can you educate them, right? How can you do all these things? And then you're going to be positioned as the expert if you do that. And you, sh- and you actually address their issues, their struggles. And then they're gonna they're gonna go through and want to actually buy your product. So you see this through how-to videos, right? So if you do, say you're a moving company, for instance, like we mentioned, creating a bunch of how to pack, you know, how to pack your Chinaware, how to pack electronics, creating these videos that are free value are helping really your your consumer and your customer with their own story and their own life. Um, talking about all the feelings they're going to have when they move from house A to house B and, you know, all those memories that they're going to have on the other side and whether their kids are going to grow up and um, the barbecues they'll be able to throw on the back deck, right? That's your customer story. And all you are as the company is you're that supporting actor who's helping make that a reality. So I think companies from a starting point, you know, really looking at how can you make your customer, your consumer, or your audience the star and realize that you're part of that story, but it's not about you. Mm. Um, and just changing that little mindset um, with anything, with how you act on social media, anything. How can I add value? And ask yourself this question of what's in it for them every single time before you hit post. And if you just ask that question, what's in it for them, before you hit post on anything, it could be a Twitter update or a blog post or a commercial, um, a lot of times that will you know lead you in the right direction. It's funny how those simple little questions can make such a large impact, eh? Just kind of like dialing it back for a second. Ego. Oh. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah, it's crazy because ego is this thing that makes you think like, oh, hey, I need to like post something that's like, look how cool I'm doing, right? It's uh, look at look at all this stuff and look at my product. It's so awesome. It's got, you know, nine new buttons on it where it's like, I don't care, man. I don't like does it does you know? There's a Jay Abraham. He's a he's a uh, famous, really famous consultant. He's consulted to Tony Robbins, Bill Gates, kind of people. But you know, he talks about this all the time. He's like, you're not selling a drill. You're never selling a drill. You're selling the hole the drill creates. Hmm. And 
when you think about your product or your story, right? The consumer wants the hole in the wall. They don't want a drill yeah. that can go at 26 speeds. They don't care. Does it create the hole, right? Uh, so I think, yeah, just little changes in mindset and positioning can make a huge difference. So where do you see a lot of companies go wrong? Is that like kind of the basis of it that they're thinking too inward and they're letting their ego take over that they're trying to show their status and, and show how good they are and they're kind of neglecting uh, consumer concerns uh, or are there other little areas, which I, s- I assume there are, that companies are just missing the boat on that they just don't see the importance of, the value of, but that you see as a common trend? Yeah, uh, well, one... Um one, definitely, this like, hey, look at how great we are marketing small businesses. Um, two, inconsistency. Okay. Uh, we see we see businesses coming out and they go like, they post on social or they create a bunch of content for like two months and they go like, why aren't we viral? Why aren't we rich? Um, and it's like, okay, this takes a long time. So really, cons- you know, consistently telling your story um, over the long haul. I see a lot of companies making mistakes there. Uh, and then uh, the last thing is really just budget allocation. So, you know, in a perfect world, sure, you'd have a team with, you know, a hundred marketers and everyone, you could do all the platforms and have infinity budget, but that's not how it goes down, especially not for small businesses or entrepreneurs where, Hey, we got a finite amount of budget and time. Where can we make the biggest splash? So the other thing that I, I think a lot of companies make a mistake on is chasing the new shiny object. You know, right now that's TikTok and being like, I need to be on TikTok. I'm like, Nah, you don't actually like you can you can do just fine on with you know if you were on youtube before great you can just do just fine there or or on instagram or facebook but it really comes down to where your customer is hanging out right if i'm selling products to people in their mid-40s having a tiktok is a, a whore it's a waste of resources in my opinion when they're finite where you're better off to go to facebook and instagram where that demographic is very active so that's a mistake I see too, is really just misallocation of, of time and budget, not telling the story consistently, um, and then thinking you're going to go viral, you know, off of two weeks of work. Well, unfortunately, it feels like that that's kind of the world we're living in, right? When everything is very convenient and immediate, but again, we, we have very little patience for anything because we can just flip a, you know, a switch and all of a sudden we have the movie we want or the TV you know program we want and we're, we're in and out of stuff that I think we kind of lack that, that patience and and maybe even ties into not even really enjoying what you're doing. So you're just trying to get, you know, hit it, hit it big fast because you're like, you know, I don't want to do this over the long haul. So I'm assuming for you, when you got into, you know, with cave magazine, like that was something that you and, and your buddies in school were just enjoying doing like that was, that was a passion project for you guys. Then obviously it, it spawned into something bigger, right? Yeah. And I think you said something um, really important there, which is like David Goggins talks about this. Um, where he's like, it's so easy to be great because everybody's so average right now (laughs) and so content with it. And that to me is just stuck out where like, yeah, it takes time. This like idea that you're going to be rich after three years of hard work or like, it's just wild, you know, or like that you're rich or happy or whatever you're trying to do, right? It takes consistent work over the long haul and, and like actual work, not just showing up. This is this idea like I was on a podcast a few days ago and someone asked like, how do you become a world-class performer? And it's like with world-class practice, with world-class training, like you have to have a world-class mindset and a world-class attitude. Otherwise, what are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. you can't go out there and just like put in an average amount of time and expect world-class results. That's not how this world works. Yeah. So I, I think that once you recognize you know, where you want to go all in with us, it was cave and it was a passion. And then I quickly said, I want to go all in on this, you know, and I want to be world-class. Uh, I'm not there yet, but I'm trying. And I'm definitely like working to how do I become a better podcast host? How do I become a better agency owner? How do I become a better leader? Um, and, and, and other aspects of life too, personal life, right? Like how do I become a better boyfriend, family member, all of those things. So, uh, it, it's really about not only having these ideas, but then having really actions that you, you know, work against that I think help um, push you towards them, you know, even just a little bit every day. Yeah. And I think that's the missing link, right? When you talked about becoming world-class, you need to have world-class action. You need to, you know, practice world-class habits and, and practices. And I think that's something that people could, could learn from is the idea of like asking the question, like, am I willing to be, 
you know, put in the, the dark hours in, in a world-class kind of like mindset when I'm not going to get the recognition for it, when it's going to be over the long haul, where I'm not going to be recognized and I'm not going to have the status and I'm not going to have the money for years and years and years. Like, are you willing to do the thing that's necessary to get you there? I think for if they, a lot of people ask themselves that, they wouldn't pursue the thing that they're pursuing because it just takes too long and that they're not really connected to the thing that they're pursuing, right? It's just the idea of it that sounds sexy, right? You see someone who, who's running a gym right now and you might be you might love fitness and be like, oh, it'd be so cool to own my own gym. Well, yeah, it'd be pretty cool to own your own gym, but like, are you willing to train clients 12 hours a day? Are you willing to have cover a big overhead and are you willing to give up going on vacation. There's so many sacrifices that people don't necessarily connect with when they think about the greater good that they just think, about, oh man, I can own my own gym and I can make a lot of money when they don't really actually connect the day-to-day sacrifice that goes into building something much bigger. Well, it's like this, right? It's, uh, it's, it's the problem. It's, it's motivation versus a sense of duty, right? So January 1st, everyone, this is my year. I'm motivated. And I'm going to get a six-pack. Okay, the road to getting a six-pack is actually quite easy. It's literally planned out for you. In six months, almost anyone can do it. And it's like, you just... But the problem is, it takes six months of no alcohol and no pizza. And, you know, actually putting in the work, doing a push-up. Like, all of these things require the consistent work on the daily to have your required results. Same thing in business. So this idea that, like... Hey, I'm motivated. I'm going to start a business. I'm going to print off some business card. Like that's playing business. That's not actually doing it because making a logo and coming up with a name, that's all the fun stuff. And that is over very quickly. Um, the real part is the motivation goes away. And do you have a sense of duty when you get up that says, okay, I have to do this. I have to complete this. I don't have a choice. I have like having a sense of duty towards your work um, and towards the person you want to be really allows you to push through motivational lulls because motivation comes and goes, but it's like, you've got to get up every day. And it's like, this is what I do. I, you know, I, I put in the work at the gym or I go and I, I, you know, whatever, maybe if it's for physical or emotional, mental or business, like being able to say, this is something I have to do. There is no choice. And for me, that's coming from a sense of duty, I think is the, the best way to position it. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it's, a, it's like kind of the difference of being pushed in a direction and pulled in a direction, right? We're, we're pushing that you're having the external motivation that's pushing you. It's, it's your friend, it's your girlfriend, it's your family, it's, it's you know, someone, a mentor who's pushing you into a direction that you're like, you got to have to like constantly be externally motivated to do. We're getting pulled into it. You wake up excited and energized to do that certain thing. It, it's not a necessarily a chore, you're excited about the process. And I think a lot of people disconnect from the process. And like they said, they, they go right into the, you know, the, the, the end. But again, the end takes time. It takes a lot of time. You, you have to enjoy to a certain degree what you're doing because you're never going to get there because there's going to be way too many struggles, way too many obstacles in the way that if you're not intrinsically motivated behind that pursuit, you're going you're gonna to bail from it, right? You have to be... Uh like a dog playing fetch every time that dog brings back the, the stick it is so excited to run out and get next stick again right um and this is it ties into the realizing that like the journey that you're on in business and life that is the reward like there's not like you're gonna work 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 and then one day you drink a mai tai on the beach and now now you're happy uh so i think that recognition that you're in those moments right now and that this really overcoming those hurdles and overcoming the challenges in business and like growth and all of the setbacks that every person has, that really is the, the rewarding part. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it's just like little changes in, in the mindset, I think can make a, a huge difference when it comes to actual performance as well. Yeah. And then that makes a lot of sense. Cause at the end of the day, like why do you want to chase something that day to day you're not happy chasing? Like, well, like, like what's the point of that at the end of the day? Like you want to be fulfilled day to day. Like you don't want to be chasing something for that, you know, the gold at the end of the tunnel. It's like, what's the point? You're going to get there and you're going to feel empty and you would have wasted months and months, if not years and years on pursuing something that has very little attachment to something of the greater good that makes you feel internally fulfilled and self-satisfied. Or, or like you may never get there. Like sure. this is something I talk about. Like I am very open about is uh, like 
mortality. Like you may die. Like I, I wear a thing that says memento mori, right? Which is like that. It just to remind you that you could leave this earth at any moment. And why I wear that is not to be morbid, but to, it's to incite action to say like, okay, the only thing that's promised is today and right now in this moment. So I need to be here. I need to enjoy it. I need to work because I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I know 150 years from now, we're all in the ground. So like, yeah. I, I need to, you know, have this action, this sense of like duty, but really it makes me go every single day because if I'm holding out for like, oh, 25 years from now, I'll be happy. Like that's not, it's not promised. And it sounds like a little morbid and whatever, but I, that's a way that I frame it to go not as a negative thing, but really as a positive thing to say, okay, right now is promised. This is promised. This is, I need to be present on this podcast and be here um, and enjoy it, you know, and, and, and I think that that has helped me as well. Um, just with like really attacking each day. And again, that that's such a proven ancient practice, right? A lot of ancient cultures um, and Japanese cultures, they, they dive into the idea of actually in monks, they think about the mortality and it's not a negative thing. They're not thinking of the mortality to end up in a state of depression or anxiety or meaningless. It's to bring forth the idea that like today matters. Like I could die. I'm good. like, this is a, a finite game that we're playing, right? Um, we're, it, we're not here for, for the end of time at, at one point in our life we're going to have all of this removed from ourselves so let's maximize today uh, let's live our best life and and move forward accordingly right so but let, let's take a little shift because we've talked a lot about consistency and, and that daily action and enjoying what you're doing and, and living a purposeful you know passion-filled life day to day and you're doing something pretty cool right now which again this is a you know performance type podcast and you're doing something called the 75 hard which is, you, I, I've heard about, I, the name kind of escaped me, but when you mentioned it, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, and, I, and I've heard this before. So dive into what 75 Hard is, um, and it's cool because, again, you're not just taking care of the professional side of what you do. You know, you're CEO and you're founder and you're, and you're doing your thing professionally, but as you and I both know, um, as high achievers or performers, however you want to, you know, say it, it takes, you know, a village and it takes nurturing all pillars and areas of your life to truly feel fulfilled so dive into 75 hard tell the people what you're doing it's a pretty cool little venture take you're taking on yeah for sure so i uh I, I just finished it last week but it's 75 days um 75 days with uh no cheat meals no alcohol read 10 pages a day uh take a progress photo so just so you can have kind of a photo diary throughout it um two workouts two 45 minute workouts and one of those has to be outside uh, every single day. And then I actually added into that. I needed to do some Spanish practice. I'm trying to learn, uh, every day. So yeah. And you do that over the course of 75 days. And like you said, so one, you do it and, and the physical results are, you know, awesome. You're going to, you don't eat a bad meal and work out <laughs> twice a day, like running a calorie deficit like that. You're going to lose weight. Like I lost 20 pounds. Wow. It's like, okay. Uh, but that is such a small part of it. Like the physical part is nowhere near the mental benefit of just locking in to be like, Oh, this is what I do now. So, um, there, there's a great book called, uh, it takes whatever it takes by Trevor Moat. And it, he talks about the illusion of choice, right? So once you remove this idea of like choice, like you don't walk into oncoming traffic. There's no choice. You stay there, right? You wake up, you brush your teeth. You don't even think about like, should I brush my teeth this morning? You just do it. So understanding that it's really not a choice of like bad food or good food. It was just like, oh, do I eat good food? This is what I do. That other stuff is not even there. I don't drink, you know, like throughout those 75 days. And flipping, it was almost like a, a switch got flipped on like three days in. Where I was like, okay, this is what I do now. Um, and what I found, because it's like this daily checklist alongside your work, is I found very quickly like, oh, I could do more. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't have the time. I was like, oh, I could do more. Once you start to realize how these things and these habits actually benefit you in other ways and everything is connected. My sleep scores. So I've, I've been tracking my sleep for like six years. I'm a big nerd. My sleep scores went up. What happens when my sleep scores come up? I have more energy. What happens when I have more energy? I work out longer. I'm, I'm better suited, you know, for my job. Oh, I eat better. Like everything 
was so interconnected and is so interconnected. Um, you know, my business grew throughout that two and a half months. That's a correlation with that because when you're in the mindset of like, I am not like, you know, I have a lot of mantras that go through my head and self talks very big, but like one of them is I am not fucking around. And like, I would just say that to myself, you know? And it's like, that's in every aspect. That's what I'm eating. That's when I'm at the gym. That's when I'm working. Like having that in my head, is like lock it in, you know, become serious and everything is so correlated. So over the course of 75 days, you know, I did it with my girlfriend. Uh, one of the cool things was, is, okay, it's done, right? It finished about a week ago. I printed out a new list of things I want to do. So I took the things that I like from that. And then I also added in things that, you know, I want to do on the daily. So I'm not taking photos any, you know, every day anymore of myself because I, that wasn't for me. But I've added in other parts of it where I go, okay, I need to create a personal piece of content every day, you know, and making my own daily checklist. And I just look at it now and I'm like, cool, this is what a perfect day looks like. And I'm going about my day. And at the end of the day, I'm ticking off like nine out of the 10 things or 10 out of the 10 things. So, um, yeah, it's a really cool program. I I would highly just look up the hashtag 75 bar. Uh, it's started by this guy, Andy Frisella, who owns a, uh, he owns a supplement company and he's got a podcast on it. I honestly think too, at this time, uh, in the quarantine COVID world, it is nice to have kind of a, a purpose when you wake up to be like, I have to do these like eight things. If yeah. you're feeling lost or bored to be like, okay, well, if I do these eight things, I'm going to have a good day. So that was kind of nice too, in the midst of like, you know, the height of COVID lockdowns here in LA, um, to be able to have that list of things to really knock out, uh, made, made a huge difference, you know, in all aspects of life. Yeah, structure and purpose is non-negotiable, right? Like obviously outside of COVID, like I know you're you're saying you're highlighting COVID because we're we've taken our structure and it's really been kind of just messed up a little bit, and, and and we don't have that same kind of you know consistency by going to the office and changing our environment. So yes, now more than ever, that purpose is critical. But in general, right, just having that something that that you that kind of gives you a little bit of accountability, right? And that's that's why I love the idea like that you had the seventy five hard. Because it just it just re-emphasized important habits that you're like, you know what, this isn't me trying to negotiate with myself today. Am I going to do this? Am I not going to do this? Like you said, it became one of those things as if you were going to go to bed, as if you're going to eat, as if you're going to brush your teeth. It's just something that you do. And I know a few years ago, I did this 365-day challenge that consisted of kind of the same thing. Like I did one thing a month for 12 uh, 12 months for a whole year, right? It was a new physical discipline, right? It was swimming, it was Ironman training, it was ultra running, it was jujitsu, it was powerlifting, it was a whole bunch of different crazy stuff in a year. And it was wild because it became one of those things every day of that month, I was doing that discipline, right? And it wasn't me having to motivate myself or convince myself to show up. It was like, no, I got 30 or 31 days this month to show up to that practice and get better at that specific discipline. And it was crazy. And I think people don't understand the compound effect behind positive habits and the compound effect behind negative habits. Like you mentioned uh, very, very uh, intelligently was the idea like you going to bed earlier isn't just you going to bed earlier. It's not just you getting a good eight hours of rest. That correlates, and I think there's, that, there's real studies and research that shows there's a causation for you to have improved energy levels. Again, when you have improved energy levels, yes, it goes into your fitness, it goes into your decision-making, it goes into your stress levels. And all of those things interconnect in this massive ecosystem that I think a lot of people, they, they, they throw it as like a one-off. Like, ah, it's, it's just sleep. But it's not just sleep. They're, it's so interconnected that you need to understand. And I think it might come from a place of ignorance, which hopefully this podcast is helping educate people on the idea that all these things are interrelated and that they all affect one another and how one bad choice will affect another bad choice and how one positive choice will affect two more positive choices and how that compounds drastically. And it's kind of funny when we talk about the compound effect, we don't think about it on the large scale where guys like you and I probably think a little bit bigger scale in terms of like what is today's decision cause for tomorrow and next week and next year. And we don't think about how losing one pound a month, which sounds really slow. Like I get one pound a month sounds like, holy hell, this is never going to end. But over a year, it's 12 months. Over five years, it's 60 pounds if we're talking a linear progression. And you might be like, holy crap, I just lost 60 pounds. But now reverse that. Say you gained a pound a month. 
in five years at 60 pounds. Like, that's a changed human being. And I know we don't look at it from a five-year scale. I know we don't. But doing so can really change your life for the better. Uh, 100%. Like, um, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, I interviewed this guy who's in the Navy, right? And uh, he's now CMO. And we said, is in the Navy, they teach you to look five feet in front of you and look 20 feet in front of you at the same time. And cool. I think that applies to so many things, you know, in life, because like you said, five years is coming and a pound a month. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a lot. It's like, no, yeah. 60 pounds. That's another, you're a different looking human. Either way, you lose, lose 60 or gain 60. Uh, it, so I, I think there's so many things in the culture too. And in the high performance culture specifically, like there's, you know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And I'm like, yeah. well, that day is going to come a lot sooner if you don't get sleep. Yeah. Like this whole idea that like, oh, I sleep for four or five hours and then I'll be a top performer. No, the day is out. You won't be like you need to sleep. And if you're telling me you don't have time, then I think anyone who's listening to this, I don't have time to sleep. I hate to cut break it to you. You are horrible time management throughout your day. And you need to address that because it's not the sleep. It's not that what's killing you. It's the tv it's the scrolling on social it's whatever it may be that is leading you to a position where you only have four or five hours that comes down to your decisions you made throughout the day which speaks to the larger thing we're talking about which is the correlation and one action affects the next action which can affect the next five years when you start to do it over and over and over again whether it's a negative habit or a positive habit um and five years is the you can do a lot in five years yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> It, it it's it's crazy like when like it's funny because that laugh just indicated dude, you knew like you could you could tell that you felt like man like people don't know what five years can do like when you really break things down like you can become a absolutely changed human being like it's it's mind-blowing when you start thinking about how what you can become a year from now five years from now and how your life can just go from the worst ever to the best ever by just making a few positive decisions today and I get it's so hard to look long term, and but I love that Navy um, saying that you just said, right? Look five feet ahead while you look twenty feet ahead. That's really cool because, like you said, it's five years is coming. <laughs> like, like, don't you want to have an optimal and maximized life five years from now? And, and but again, it's it takes a lot. So again, going into that because like we can preach this, and people are like, yes, I, I get it, man. Five years from now. So what can people do to to continuously think? big picture what habits what are some things that they can do to actually apply the five-year big picture thing so i love to uh i love to deconstruct goals and reverse engineer so you know okay if what i want to be is in five years i want to i want to have i don't know let's a company that does x in revenue or whatever it may be okay how much is that per year right okay how much is that per month how much is that per day Okay, now I have my number per day that I need to work towards. Okay, what habits? What habits do people who are already in those positions, what do they do on the daily? How can I reach out to them? How can I learn from those people? How do they have books? Like, and then understanding, and I like tying stuff back to fitness, right? Because if I do 20 push-ups today, I'm not, or we'll do one workout, you're not going to get ripped. But we all understand that working out over the long haul will lead to a better, you know, body, aesthetically and both intri- and intrinsically. Um so what I like to tell people is like, okay, write out your habits and, and control what you can in front of you. So if you can control the controllables every single day and make a list, it doesn't have to be 75 hard, it can be your own list, but making your list say, okay, these are the things I'm going to control. They're in my, I, I, I'm, in, I'm accountable for them. I'm, I have the power to get up and go for a walk or not, to read that book or not. Um, and the data is pretty like it's pretty compelling that if you start to do those high performance activities every single day five years from now you're going to be a lot closer to your goal um so and then if you and then it comes down to writing out those goals and say i will get here but i will get here by doing xyz every single day so then you know that you have an action to work against you're not just saying like because otherwise i think goals can become wants very quickly Mm -hmm. like i want to have a company that does 10 million in revenue okay yeah, so does everybody. Yeah. Like, so walk me through, right? I'm going to get there by getting these size accounts and hiring these people 
and doing and reaching out to, you know, three people every day or whatever it may be. So it's like breaking stuff down to a granular level on what you can do every single day to have the, the best day you can today. And it's going to compound and add up over the course of years. You know what? That, it was cool that you said that in terms of the re- reverse engineering because it might actually save you a lot of time behind you pursuing something that you don't, you don't even want to pursue. Because you mentioned, well, to get there, I might need to approach three clients a day. You might be like, I do not want to approach three clients a day. Okay, great. You just save yourself a whole lot of time. You know, this business isn't for you. You're not going to make a $10 million company through this platform or through this avenue or through this approach. Then you, then you can at least get rid of that. Don't waste your time anymore. And you can navigate to a different area where you might like the approach or you might enjoy the process or it might just fit your skill set a little bit better. And I think knowing that is it comes down to self-awareness, right? But when you have that awareness about who you are and you know what you can stick to and you know your personal habits and, and patterns, that might just help navigate you and stop you from wasting years and years behind an endless pursuit of something that doesn't even make you happy in the first place. Yeah, which comes to a deeper thing of like, why are you, why are you going after it, right? Like, yeah, is, and like things exactly like people say that like ten million, and it's like, okay, well, why? Like, I don't know, I picked that number, and it's like, <laughs> okay, well, I'm, we need to do some deeper exploration into why you, that's your goal, or like, I want to whatever it may be, anything, like any goal. It's like, okay, well, why? And just if you can answer why, cool, then it's like exactly this is what you should do, and this is go, you should go after it. It makes you happy go bananas but um if there's like i I think there's this pressure and pressure whether it's artificial or real that we see on social media like people becoming uber successful and just showing their wins and then we start to feel this like well if i'm not doing that then i'm a failure thing and and it's not true (laughs) um you know there are a lot of people that can do it without posting on social or have a company that like for instance creating your own company having a company that serves you and serves the lifestyle you want opposed to having a, you know, a company that you are serving, um, which you can see with a lot of like the big, big tech companies and uh, startups that have get the, you know, quote unquote unicorn status. Like their CEOs are, are really devoting their life to that company. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of losses they took along the way that I think are unseen. So it, that can lead to a false pressure. I think that, you know, business people put on themselves. The same way that you, you've seen for years when you see a fitness model or someone on front of a magazine that gives you this artificial pressure or artificial idea of like beauty standards or what have you. And you think, well, if I don't have that, then I'm like, then I'm a failure. And it's like, okay, I don't know about that. Uh, like, yeah, you want to have something to strive towards, but you know, it, it, it's just, I think being cognizant of that is also really important. Yeah, yeah, I think self-reflection is a very underrated tool. And again, a lot of the great philosophers of our, of our time, right, they would be um, immaculate journalers, right? They would, Every night they would, they would release their thoughts. They would write their thoughts out. They would um, internalize what they're thinking and then the processes. And I think it just, it just helps. And I know some people might look at it and, and you, know, you know, laugh at journaling. But, like, it's one of those things that, you know, letting your thoughts go and actually uh, addressing those internal beliefs. And, and you might just come up with something that really helps you, you know, navigate your own, you know, worries and anxieties and fears and, and help you live a life that's more authentically true to who you are. 100%. I'm right there with you. Okay, so let's jump in uh, before we wrap up here. A little bit of the top leadership traits that you, that you see because you deal with a lot of, you know, big, you know, Fortune 500 companies. What have you taken away from your own personal habits and, and, and maybe anecdotally, but also from some of the top leaders you've had the privilege to speak with and meet with and connect with and, and what they're doing day to day to not only stay a top leader within their profession, but as a whole, because as we've talked about, that's something that we want to make sure we definitely address in terms of performance. It doesn't just come in one direction. Uh, we are trying to optimize the being as a whole. They, the number one thing, um, I'm the boardrooms that I've been in and successful people I've spoken with, they have an ability to let go of control. And it's the hardest thing to do when you're first starting out your business, because you think you are the greatest at everything. And nobody will do it as good as you or put the attention that you will. And it's really, um, you know, a fallacy. People are smart. If you, if you enable them and teach them the right way, they will go out and execute. And a lot of times they'll have specialized skills that are actually better than you. So 
the top performers understand that they need to let go of control and that it takes a village to create something really great. So they're able to delegate and get their hands, you know, away from being really in the work. So they're not looking down and in, they're really looking outward and saying, okay, we're, I'm going to get you to do this so I can continue steering the ship. Because if I'm the captain of the ship and I go down and try to fix the boiler, nobody's driving the ship. So they're, they're really good at, you know, driving that proverbial ship. Um, the other trait, another thing that I see a lot is, and it's just funny because it's a, every single one has imposter syndrome. They all think they're bad leaders. And I've been at round tables here in LA with successful entrepreneurs from around the city. And the, the conversation that continually comes around is like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, you know, so that imposter syndrome is really real. But I think recognizing that everybody has it and understanding that your staff, that if you have imposter syndrome, that a lot of times your staff is also going to have that. So helping them through their own battles uh, when it comes to, you know, feeling like they're a pony and feeling like they don't have the skill set uh, is really important. And then uh, lastly, I would just say on like top, um, the best leaders I've ever met give feedback and then they're not just nice, but they actually, it's like, if you want to be nice, go sell ice cream. They're kind people. And part of being kind is giving feedback that people need to hear. Um, and feedback is not just like, hating on a person, but gives the person a tool to improve their skill set. So they're very direct. Um, they're very direct in what they expect and how you may be able to get there. So that's something else that I've seen is like, oh, they give feedback. And it's similar to, you know, if you're in sports and you were coached and you made a mistake. So say I threw an interception in practice. The coach comes over and is like, hey, you need to check that and throw over there, right? Okay, I don't take that personally. I don't go home and be like, Oh, coach is, coach is out to get me, right? No, he's here to co- course correct me so we make the best decision. So I'm in a better position and so the team's in a better position. But somehow when it goes over to work and a coach or a manager does the same thing, people start taking it personally. So having a leader that, it, that knows, okay, if I can do this and give that feedback like a coach and kind of course correct people, um, even if it might feel like ripping off a Band-Aid sometimes, uh, they're able to do that. And, and that's something that... Uh, you know, I, I'm working at doing. I'm working at doing better. Uh, I try to take all these lessons and try to implement them the best I can. But uh, that's something that I've I've seen be very effective. Very cool. Very cool. And, and what are some personal habits that you make into a daily practice for yourself? They're they're the kind of your non-negotiables. They're things that allow you to have the energy, the optimism, the you know motivation. What are some things that just kind of like lead you the best way possible? Yeah, I would say that uh, exercise is a non-negotiable. It's every day, like that's happening. Um, whether it's popping on the exercise bike or or going out and doing kettlebells or whatever it may be, but like I have to do something active. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think that, and then sleep. I uh, I'm definitely like I will get the seven hours. You know, it's just kind of like I'm. I'll, if I get to bed late, well, then I'm sleeping in late to make sure I get the, a proper amount of sleep. Um, those are the two things that I, I find um, will lead me to do all the other decisions I need to do. So if I exercise, I'm going to eat healthy. Like it's kind of yeah. those. And if I sleep well, I'm going to exercise. So I found those two to be the pillars that led that lead to all of the other activities. But, you know, I can't I can't have a, a really it comes down to sleep because I can't have a great workout if I had if I didn't sleep. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest non-negotiable. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's one of those underrated tools that a lot of people that, you know, as I work with as a wellness consultant and I work as a trainer, just talking to people. And that's one of the first questions I ask because they're trying to lose weight. They're trying to put on lean muscle tissue. And I ask, hey, like, what's your sleep like? <laughs> like, like, what are you doing? Are you getting enough sleep? Like, I want to see if your hormones are balanced, if they're all out of whack, if you have the energy to do the things you're going to do. Is your decision making going to be high or is it going to be irrational and, and illogical? Like, I want to know those things. And that's one of the first questions I always do ask is I think a lot of people, they undervalue it and they don't understand the, the correlation between bad sleep and poor performance and then good sleep and great performance. And I think it's one of those things that in a world that we see people 
grinding, grinding, grinding. You have books like the 5 a.m. Club, and you have you know Jocko Will- Wilnick who's getting up at 4 a.m. and grinding. There's, there's going to be some outliers in the world that, yeah, they might be able to run off five hours of sleep. That's a very, very small percentage, and who the hell knows the time they're going to bed at, too. Well, that's that's exactly it. Nobody, Jocko Willick is also in the eight p.m. go to bed club. Exactly. People people forget about that. That he if he showed that every night too, I think it'd be a little bit different message. Yeah, and and I think it's one of those things that we just disconnect. And we're like, well, like I'm going to bed at twelve, and Jocko's getting up at four. Like, how does he do it? And it's like, no, man, like Jocko goes to bed at eight, 8 p.m. Right? Like, <laughs> like it's it's a, it's a sacrifice. He's not he's not a dummy. Like, the guy's a high achiever. Like, obviously, he's a leader. Like, he's not gonna. You can't run on three hours of sleep. Like, he's not gonna to happen yeah it's it's that's the part where, where people see that and like oh, look i've written articles for like ink magazine on how to wake up at 5 a.m right and they're always the most popular and i love it i wake up early but part of those articles i write i always say like look waking up at 5 a.m is about going to sleep before 10 p.m it's like the first <laughs> line of every article yeah because if you're not going to sleep before 10 you're this is not a sustainable life to wake up that early yeah 100 percent Love it. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you because I found it pretty funny. I was going over your LinkedIn page and I was looking at your bio and I was like, what the hell is this guy saying on his bio? So basically you're about, is, and I, I assumed, I tried to connect and I was like, okay, I think he's talking about, like he's kind of creating a story. Uh, uh, want me to read it to you or do you remember it? Uh, I, I think my LinkedIn bio talks about like Googling what a LinkedIn bio should say. <laughs> and then it just it talks about essentially how I want a sandwich. Yes. Yeah. And it, it goes into you on your rap. So <laughs> is that, was, was that a strategy? Cause I got, I was like, maybe, maybe this is a marketing strategy. Cause it enticed me to be like, okay, this is unique and different. So like, what was that approach? Yeah. It's a, it's a strategy just to like, everyone's LinkedIn bio is, the world's most boring autobiography um like when i was going through and looking at them and like you know i, I think that that's at least I, i'm also a marketer right so like you want to come in and say okay is this person creative uh if you're going to hire me to come on so i think it helps show that instead of saying like jordan sheldon is an experienced marketer who has blah 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 you know put putting people to sleep so yeah it was just something different little intrigue and i've gotten a lot of comments about it people reaching <laughs> out so uh I don't know. I, I I don't personally read LinkedIn bios. You know, I kind of like let my work show for itself. Um, so I found it would just be an interesting thing to do. And so far, so good with regards to the reception. Yeah, there you go. I was gonna use a little something today, and I was like, All right, I don't know if I can use this. I don't know if I can use it. He likes <laughs> he like he likes raps as part of his bio, but I'll definitely bring it up anyways. Um, so where you know to finalize this podcast, it's been a great chat with you. Uh, where can people find you if people want to use you uh, for? that content marketing how can people get a hold of jordan sheldon yeah so i would say uh, head over to uh cavesocial.com um you can also if you made it to the end of this podcast and you want to shoot me a message just shoot me a message jordan at cavesocial.com uh, and then also check out the uh if you're into marketing and growing your business i run the podcast uh the mind your marketing podcast which uh, bring in top performers, executives, uh, CMOs from around the world to talk about how they grew their company and grew their uh, grew their marketing efforts. If that interests you, so I would head that way. Cool. And, and what what companies have you written for, Jordan? Where where can people find your work? Yeah, you can see uh, if you go to Inc. Magazine, I have an extensive column there. If you're in the real estate game, uh, Inman.com. Uh, you can also see articles on Business Insider, Entrepreneur, and MSNBC. Like if you just put in uh, Jordan Shelton, and I know my name's a bit tough to spell, but if you throw that in, there's probably 200 articles on leadership and marketing and business. Very cool. And for people looking to spell Shelton, it's S C H E L T G E N. Good luck. Good luck with that one. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> but you can find it on, obviously in the podcast notes, guys. Everything's going to be there. The whole description of the episode. Uh, again, it was a uh, privilege of mine to talk to Jordan here, former UFT. Well, I guess not a former. You're a UFT alum. You can't be a former if you're an alum, right? Those two things don't go together. So thanks so much, buddy. It was awesome talking to you. And guys, we'll see you on the next episode.